2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. At that point, this is just a few days in. Uh, this is about four or five days in, maybe. So I haven't given enough time to actually think about these things. All I've been is just enjoying the fact that I'm a son and that I'm in Christ. And then he does this throwaway line where he's like, because you know we're free from sin. And I was like, huh? Dog, I would just ride my fixie around town with my earbuds in, just happy that I was in Jesus. Just like, yeah, right? <laughs> and then come back home and listen to these guys talk about this stuff and read my Bible. This episode is with my boy, Jonathan Leonardo, and this is a continuation. This is Jonathan part two. This is a continuation of a conversation that we started back in season one, where he told me his death to life story, how he was living and, and how he was able to see the truth over who he was from what Jesus had said. This is what happened after that and how he was able to go to the Bible and see uh, theologically, how um, how God really saw him, and then how that then changed and became the Love Reality Tour as we know it today, and uh, just kind of the journey. It's pretty deep theologically. Jonathan breaks it down like only Jonathan can. I plan on listening to it several times because there's just it's just beautiful and it's from the Bible. So uh, let's just jump into it. Put your thinking caps on. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. And this is real talk, God is loving on me Colorful and innocent, that's on me Got me standing in the light and it's on me It's a new heart, it's a new beat It's a new thing, it's a new Okay, I haven't listened to your podcast in a long time But I feel like we finished With you getting this crazy understanding And uh, Jonathan Leonardo He's got his Master's in Divinity He's nope. I got my master's in Old Testament theology. Okay. You got your master's in Old Testament theology. You've already been uh, a full-time pastor. You're gone back as we, as we documented in the podcast. My question is like, if you didn't understand what these epistles were talking about, 
Yeah. What were you preaching? Um, I was preaching a bunch of theology. So I had gotten some good theological revelations and I understood some things theologically. So I would preach. And what I mean by I preach theology, I would preach like some key idea about how there was a revelation of God in a certain passage. So for instance, you take, uh, I think it's Mark three, one through six. Mm-hmm. And in Mark three, one through six, you have this movement of Jesus into the synagogue and he goes in there and he heals a man with a withered hand. Mm-hmm. But the way that Mark structures it seemingly is a, um, it's this pattern that's called the chiastic structure. Right. And think about like a mountain. Mm-hmm. Just think about like, yeah, a mountain. Mm-hmm. And at the base of the mountain on either side, it corresponds. Then you go up one level and on either side, it corresponds. When you get up to the top, it's like both sides meet at the climax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that the story's mapped out. So at the beginning from one side, it corresponds to the end on the other side. The next move corresponds to the second to last move. And then in the middle, it like all meets. And if you read verses one through six, it kind of works like that where Jesus gets angry at the Pharisees because of the hardness of their heart, particularly on Sabbath. And um, at in the last verse, the sixth verse, the Pharisees and the scribes, they team up with the, the state powers, the Herodians. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. But they leave the synagogue where in the first verse, Jesus comes into the synagogue. So what do you see? You see that in the first verse, Jesus comes in. In the last verse, they leave. And what's in the middle? the hardness of their heart on the true meaning of the Sabbath. So Jesus comes in to give it and the Pharisees hate his explanation and they leave. And consequently they team up with the state power in order to kill Jesus. So religious and state power get together because Jesus truly reveals the heart of the <laughs> Sabbath. Right. Does that sound familiar? Uh, yeah. It does religious sound familiar. and state power come together to, right. Yeah. And so stuff like that, which is powerful and it's cool and it's really, you know, but yet, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that I would share. I think there's something that, you know, in freedom, there's some things that change and some things that don't change, but they're just used for the, a completely different reason. Absolutely. And I have a vivid memory of seeing you preach. Yeah. Uh, and this was years after, you know, I hadn't been in touch with, maybe we talked about this on the first, po- first podcast, but you're preaching this message and I'm sitting in the congregation. I'm sitting next to Tyler. Yeah. And you're going hard and it's all over my head. Yeah. And then you get to the end and you're like, no, 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 guys, I got to share this one more thing. Yeah. And you go to this New Testament book and I don't remember, it was probably like Ephesians or something. Yeah. And you were really excited about it. You couldn't, I don't think you could muster up that good of acting. Maybe you're a good actor, but you were on the day. So you were very excited and you wanted to really show us this thing. Yeah. I don't think that's different that you're so excited for theology. I think theology still pumps you up and like you, you love it. Yeah. But it, but it was a different thing back then. Your motives might've been a little bit different and like you still (laughs) geek out on theology. Yeah. Um, but it was different. Yeah. It came across. I had one lady once, um, she said, you know, you came and preached at our church a few years ago. She was like, and the first time I heard you preach, it was good. She said, but it just felt like something was off. So she mm-hmm. told me. And uh, this was back, I think, 2015, maybe, I went and preached. She was like, felt like something was off. And then I had just preached, recently preached there in 2019 or 2020, whenever it was. It was during uh-huh. the, pan- the pandemic. 
And she goes, but this time you came and it's like, you're just as passionate. She's like, but there's actually life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I could tell you what happened. <laughs> so yeah, man, the full agreement on that before it was just theology is dope and everything, but theology doesn't give life. Right. Isn't that what Jesus said? Right. I mean, he says, you know, Paul says that the law doesn't give life, you know, and Jesus told them that they searched the scriptures. Yeah. They searched right? the scriptures. People are out here proof texting and, and you're not seeing the life that's in it, the transforming. Yeah. And that was very much, it. that was very much my condition, man. I, uh, I couldn't, bro, I could not read the book of Romans from front to back back then and actually make sense of the whole thing. Right. I couldn't read, um, the whole book of, I couldn't read first and second Corinthians right through and like follow the argument and be like, Oh, okay. I mean, there's still some things in those books that you're like, what? You know, Paul's like the women cover their heads because of the angels. And you're like, huh? <laughs> like, well, well, I yeah, go yeah, back yeah. To that. And then there's some troublesome passages when you talk about, you know, I got my opinions on them. I'm not going to, you know, make them finality. There's, there's some things in there where historically we're still like, huh? Yeah. Right. But then there's some other passages, mostly the flow of his argumentation. You can actually follow in the spirit. It makes sense. Right. Right. Um, yeah, man, there's, there's so many things like putting off this bodily tent and putting on our, uh, eternal building. Right. Right. Um, him geeking out, him playing the Corinthians, the first Corinthians three. He's like, you know, I still talk to y'all. I got to talk to y'all like y'all in the flesh. I got to talk to y'all like you're carnal. And before I would have used that as, a, as permission to stay carnal and stay right. in the flesh, right. not knowing that he's setting them up for first Corinthians six, where he's like, and such were some of you. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he's like, Oh, so we're not that anymore. He's like, that's <laughs> right. You're not. So stop acting like it. You know, <laughs> before I would have never seen that. I would have just proof texted my way to justify my ignorance. So let's, so we're at this, uh, this, this day where something happens, you're at church the next day and you just feel different. Yes. And we were discussing this the other day. Where did the first, like you had a bunch of stuff that maybe was, maybe I can believe something different or tell me like you're walking away from this day where you just deep dive well, and you're so walking I away with. What are you walking away with? Um, surprise. Really? I mean, I listened to this guy present the parables of Jesus in a whole new light. Hmm. Listening to him read Paul in a whole new light. And he's making it so basic. That's, that's what surprised me about it is that it was so unbelievably simple, hmm. right? He's reading uh, passages of scripture and the, the simplicity of it was in the turn of seeing himself in the text. He's like, you know, this is true about us now. Like mm. this is our standing. Now there is no aspiration here. This is true in Jesus. So when he's reading first Corinthians and you know, chapter one and Jesus has become wisdom and sanctification and redemption for us. And that through Jesus, we say our amen back to God and amen simply means like truth or agreement, or you're like, yeah, that's true. Or yeah, that's agreement. You know how we, you mm -hmm. know, we talk and we're like, oh yeah, true, 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 true. Mm -hmm. That's amen, right? Right. And so this guy's teaching me things like, you know that in the spirit, you can be thankful for having received everything God says is yours because Jesus has given it to you. And because of that, by faith, you can just say yes back to God. Like, yes, you gave it to me. Yes, I have it in Jesus. Yes, it's secure. So that when you're reading the first, the rest of Corinthians, for instance, 
And Paul's like, hey, man, y'all still acting like you're carnal. The, con- the, the contrast there should be like, nah, why would we act like we're carnal? We're in the spirit. Right, Paul? Mm-hmm. And for Paul, you know, by the time he gets to first, uh, chapter six, like, yeah, that's the point. So stop acting this way. So those sort of that simplicity mm-hmm. of the argumentation was completely lost on me, bro. And so I left that day with surprise at the simplicity of being able to understand and see these things in a way that I had been overcomplicating, right? Simply because I did not see the truth of who God said I was and what he had accomplished on my behalf through Jesus. And that left me feeling so energized and hopeful that the spirituality that I had hoped for, a life of freedom and blessedness in the Holy Spirit that I had read about, that it was actually possible. And so that's when it was the next day that I woke up and the immediate thought that came to me, and it felt like a foreign thought, but it was like all over me was that God loved me. Like Hmm. God did not love who I could become. Hmm. And God didn't love me in spite of me. You know, that whole idea. Right. God saw me and he loved me because he saw the truth of me. You know, the person who didn't see the truth of me? You. Me. (laughs) Right. I thought I was forever sin waiting to happen. I thought I was forever uh, the sum total of my bad choices. Right. Um, I didn't see that I came from the hand of my creator in love with destiny, with purpose, that I was predestined to be adopted as his own to be grafted in to the full standing of a son because that was my destiny legacy from before the foundation of the world and that sin had corrupted and enslaved me in a way that i had lost any recognition of who i was why because when man was cut off from god in the garden they were cut off from love and when they were cut off from love they were cut off from the truth and source of who they were And since they were cut off from love and God, they went searching for love in all the wrong places Mm -hmm. and only the love of God could satisfy. And that's what ended up happening, man. The love of God satisfied in a way that I never knew it could. And I opened up the epistles and all of a sudden they made sense. And that's what happened the next day. I read the Bible and I sat there and I remember I read Ephesians. And I was like, huh. <laughs> I was like, well, I'll be, you know, where, you know, Ephesians in, in chapter two, where he's like, um, and out of the two, he has made one and we have uh, the same access through him. Right. Like, right. Like Ephesians two eighteen, And I was like, man, that's me. I have access. I have standing. And so I went to church that weekend and I was sitting in the pew and uh, yeah, they were singing some song. I can't remember what it was. But bro, it was like something inside of me could not sit. I had to just stand and lift my hands in adoration. And I'm not that guy, you know, if you know me, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy who's like, at least I didn't used to be that guy. Nah, you're, right? you're that guy now. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that guy. And yeah, man, something took a hold, changed. And the the, the one revelation I was working off then early on, Rich, uh-huh. like I didn't have the full understanding of freedom from sin quite yet because and I mean, I didn't have the full understanding because I hadn't um, fully done a deep dive into Romans 6 and into Romans 7 and into Romans 8. All I knew was that I was a son. That mm. identity piece was so solid. Like I knew that my father loved me and I knew it from the deepest parts of me that I was his son. And that's, the, that's where the revelation changed. So like when you're his son, everything's open now. It's a... Uh... And like, I'm hearing you say this and it's like the Bible is 
almost like a new book for you to read. And you're just like, it's completely open to me. Where should I start? And the the Love Reality Tour, the first night of the Love Reality Tour of Wave One is is freedom from sin. Yeah. Um, what, you know, take me to where, how did you get to this? So freedom from sin was, um, first something I experienced, right? Like Mm -hmm. when I realized that I was a son, I came under the conviction that there was no condemnation for me, Mm -hmm. that I, like in the deepest parts of me, I finally believed and felt in my inner being, right? And thought about it in my head that there was no condemnation for me. And the reason why I could not be condemned was because the father loved me. That's as far as I had Mm -hmm. initially. I was like, God loves me. He will not cast me aside. God loves me. He will not condemn me. Mm. God loves me. I am loved by my father. Right. And, um, the next step was realizing that I, I was in Christ right? Like just that full revelation that I was his son and I was in Christ. So I was reading Ephesians one and that's a great passage for understanding that you're in him, Mm -hmm. in him, in him, in him. All right. Blessed be the God and father who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? In him, when we heard the word of our salvation and we were sealed in the Holy spirit in him, right? Constantly. And so I read Ephesians one. I said, man, this is so true. And the spirit just resonated so deep within me, just confirming that this was true. Um, you know, I think it's first John chapter two, that you don't need another teacher for the anointing itself teaches you. Um, and the, and I think that's first John two, 26, 27, maybe something like that. And the anointing was teaching me first that I was a son. And second, it was teaching me that I was in Christ. Absolutely in Christ. I was in Christ. I was in Christ. And I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm in Christ. I can't believe it. I'm alive in Jesus. This is the best news ever. Everybody's got to know it. God loves them and they could be in Jesus. Like this is a revelation for the world. Yeah. (laughs) That's where I was at. Right. Mm -hmm. And so love reality tour started. And I don't know how far, how much you want to go into like the way it started and how it started. Well, I kind of want to get to, this yeah you're a son yeah but when did you hit romans 6 and romans 7 and romans 8 because we've been talking this week about how there's there's a very key passage in romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25 that is easily understood by christianity because it's our experience in many ways but if we um misunderstand it we think that that's what a Christian's life is. And there, you know, Romans six goes before it and explains our relationship to sin. Romans seven is this kind of relationship to the law and what life was like under the law. But if you don't know that it can be super confusing. So when did you talk to me about walking through Romans six and Romans seven for the first time with the new lens? Yeah, so the first time I walked through it was, um, I remember it started from Hebrews 10, actually, right? Um, I was listening to a sermon by Dan Moeller, and he was breaking down Hebrews 10, and he was going through Hebrews 10, and he was talking about being released from sin consciousness. He's like, you have to live with sun consciousness, right? He's like, the awareness of your life has to be that you're first a child, not that you're sin waiting to happen. He got because if you're still in sin consciousness, then that demonstrates that the cleansing and the washing of the word hasn't taken 
deep root. It's not fully established. You can believe in the word. You can believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. You can be in Christ and you can have him as your your living and personal savior. And you can still be falling short of living in the full confidence of freedom because sin consciousness still plays a role in your thinking. So he's breaking down Hebrews 10, how sin consciousness was done away because Jesus actually purifies, gives us a clean mind. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm, <laughs> you know, cause I'm rocking with the fact that this is me. Yeah. Right. Um, like I'm, you read Hebrews 10, it's just such a dope chapter. And I'm like, yeah, that like, I, I, like I'm, I get it. Like that happened to me. And then he does this throwaway line where he's like, cause you know, we're free from sin. And I was like, huh? Like the, <laughs> when he, the way he said it, yeah, right. Cause yeah. we're free from sin. And uh, at that point, this is just a few days in. Right? Right. This is about four or five days in, maybe. So I haven't given enough time to actually think about these things. All I've been is just enjoying the fact that I'm a son and right. that I'm in Christ. I'm out here just lotty dotty dottying yeah. all over the place, right? <laughs> like, bro, I had a fixie, you know, a one-speed fixie bike uh-huh. in Berrien Springs, Michigan. And this happened in June of 2016. It was like the first week of June 2016. I remember it clearly. You know, the sun is out. It's Summer's about to just burst forth in southwest michigan if you know anything about southwest michigan during the summer beautiful summers magical right i'm on my one speed fixie i would put on my earbuds and just play um at that time i think i was listening to a lot of hillsong united Uh right and i would play and i would find songs that were like in full agreement with this revelation Uh and i would just bike I would bike and i dog i would just ride my fixie around town with my earbuds in just happy that I was in Jesus. Just like, yeah, right? <laughs> and then come back home and listen to these guys talk about this stuff and read my Bible. That was my life, right? And I'm listening to Dan and he's breaking down Hebrews 10 and he's like, yeah, because we're free from sin. And he starts breaking down to Hebrews 10 and I'm like, huh, what? And then he goes to Romans 6 and he's like, oh, he's like, y'all know, right? We're free from sin. And he goes to Romans 6 and he starts reading Romans 6. And starts demonstrating what baptism is. It's, it's the death and the burial of the old man, rising up a new life because the one who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6, 11, therefore, consider yourselves uh, alive unto God, right, through Christ Jesus and dead to sin, right? Uh, Romans 6, 18, having therefore been set free from sin. Romans 6, 22, having therefore been set free from sin. And I'm like, he's reading and I'm like, I was not, I was not like, how could this be? But I was like, yeah, this is it. Like there was this agreement. Like, yeah, this is it. Because that's what I had experienced. Um, You know, I I think I told last time on on the podcast that I said I had got freed from L-U-S-T. Right. Like the strong, the hold on that thing on my life was severe. It colored everything, man. Um, I would talk to a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, and me and her would talk. And uh, she knew that it colored my whole life. And she was in prayer for me fervently, man. Uh Faithful sister. And um, she knew that there was this shadow of darkness over my life because of this hidden private sin. Yeah. And she could just see it. She could see me carrying it. And then after I had this revelation with the Lord and the encounter with the Holy Spirit, and I'm confident that it's no longer I, but Christ, mm-hmm. I, you know, she could tell that something was different. Right, right, <laughs> She's right. like, oh, oh, man, it's like changed. And the thing that had changed that I caught that revelation that freedom was mine and freedom from sin was a thing. So at this point now I'm holding this privately. Like I have it internally. I go through Romans 6 and I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And at that point. Um, Did you know why you were free from sin? Like the way you explain it now, you're free from the penalty, you're free from the power and the prison. Did you understand that piece? 
or was just like the beginning, like grabbed hold of you, like, yeah, sin has no power over me whatsoever. Yeah. So um, I benefit greatly that I'm a one, a lifelong Adventist and a trained theologian. Yeah. Right. I didn't finish my Ph.D., but I have Ph.D. level training. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've read a lot about atonement theology. I've done a lot of deep diving into what Christ did at the cross. Right. Right. And that was my pet project even before freedom. Right? Like I would read a lot on that. Some of my favorite books, like not even a book, just a chapter. Like one of my favorite chapters on breaking down um, the atonement, not only Ellen White and Desire of Ages, but uh, Edward Hepenstall. And I think in chapter three of um, our high priest was such a, a, a revolutionary way to start rethinking about atonement. Anyway, I don't want to get too nerdy, but all this to say, I spent a lot of time considering that. And when freedom from sin came into like my purview and when I'm actually living it and experiencing it, all the theology that I had been thinking through, all of a sudden things start clicking, like clack, 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 clack. a lot of things started falling into place, right? Um, how, what sin is, mm-hmm. right? And what it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. I had considered that greatly prior to freedom. I had done deep dives into what is the ontology of sin, right? right? That's nerdy talk for what is the beingness? Like what is the materiality of sin? If it has any, right? right? Which ultimately it doesn't. Right. Sin itself is not material. It's not ontological in that way, right? And so freedom from sin all of a sudden began to emerge rather clearly, right? Not in its fullest clarity because we're growing in it every single day. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't something as though when I heard those words, it was just like, I'm going to take the words and just run with it. Um, I was really blessed and positioned with my training and my studies and just the dope teachers that I had that stewarded me. And I bet you a lot of my teachers understood and knew this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just my dumb behind. <laughs> like, Hello, what does that mean? Right? But yeah, that's. So that's something I recognize that I was really blessed with, that my training and my my education, my good Adventist education really helped me along. So when I heard Free From Sin, there was a lot of theological weight that I could throw at it. So when you cruise over to the next chapter, uh, and, and this is something that I'll just give a little context. Historically, Adventists have been divided over our relationship to the law. Yeah. Um. And Romans chapter seven, uh, the first four, four, first four or five verses kind of explains that when you get to this chapter, uh, was it pretty soon after Romans six that you know you're listening to Dan talk Romans six freedom from sin? W- did you jump into Romans seven pretty soon after that, or did it take a few weeks, months, or as you're as you're pondering and just living out freedom, riding around your fixie? <laughs> yeah, I'm just riding my fixie, loving life, bro. Just like. <laughs> God talks to me, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yo, I was so blissfully unaware of some of these things precisely because I had been so deeply rooted on one side of the argument for so long. I mean, I had used Romans 7 as a justification for my own sin for so long. It's like, well, you know the things I want to do. I just don't do them. <laughs> and so anytime, anytime and every time that something that I didn't want to do came up, I would find solace in the fact that uh, Paul struggled the same thing in Romans seven. And to be honest, I didn't even know Romans seven that well to uh, be able to give a defense. Why I thought that I just knew that that was in there. That was the standard sort of theology amongst so many of the people that I at least chose to listen to. And I probably chose to listen to because they agreed with me. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> um, I'm sure there was a lot of people in my life that are like, Jonathan, the Christian life doesn't have to always be that, right? 
Um, but yeah, so it wasn't until I, I rich. I mean, it'd be unfair to me to put, like give a particular time. Okay. Well, just tell me when the revelation hit, what was that like that this Roman seven guy was sold under sin and in the flesh. And that's the thing is that I think, I think, I think the, the question is one that assumes that there was a moment of aha in Roman seven. And there wasn't, I don't think. If I go back, I don't think there was a moment of aha in Romans 7 because the, the moment of aha came in Romans 6. Hmm. The moment of aha was like, I'm free from sin. The, the moment of aha was Romans 5 when you have these two realities of Adam 1 and Adam 2 that right. we've talked about, right? In Adam 1, there's death, condemnation, there's trespass, there's transgression. In Adam 2, there's grace, life, righteousness, the abundance of grace, the obedience, right? Adam right. 1 is disobedience. And then Romans 7 does this move where it's like, yo, through the body of Christ, you've died to the law, right? Mm -hmm. Well, how's that possible? Well, because Jesus Christ became um, a man like Adam one, like he became the failure of humanity by becoming sin for us. And then he resurrected from the grave, brand new spiritual man that ushered in a new reality. And because of that, because he died that death, you too can die with him. And because he now lives, you too can live with him. So you are no longer under condemnation because you're no longer in the flesh. Mm -hmm. Like Romans five and Romans six made that clear for me. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So by the time I'm reading Romans seven and Romans seven, four is telling me that while you were in the flesh, right. Or not. Yeah. Romans seven. Is it four? That says that probably five, five, right. While you were in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit unto death. When mm -hmm. I read that, I, that found full agreement in my life. It was like, absolutely. I've seen that at play my whole life that the law tells me I can't. And what I want to do is that which it tells me I can't. So sinful passions are aroused and they wear, they, they bear fruit unto death. Mm -hmm. right? I completely was like, yeah. Right. But then verse six, but now, but now, mm -hmm. so it's contrasting verse five, right? But now we are released from the law, mm -hmm. having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. I think more than anything, when I was reading Romans seven, that's what got me. Not so much Romans seven or eight, one where I mean, like Romans seven, is it the unconverted man or the converted man? I wasn't even thinking in those realms because mm -hmm. I didn't dive into those discussions with folks, like, right. My area of interest the theologically were elsewhere. Right. So I'm not diving into Romans 7. And so that longstanding beef of like, is it the unconverted man or the converted man? Like, I, I just, I knew that I was unconverted. <laughs> <laughs> you knew you were in the flesh sold under sin. Yeah, so I knew I was going to use that text to be like, hey, man, you know, I want to do good, but. <laughs> you know, late nights come a calling, right? <laughs> and, and and we use it as justification. So you understand what I'm saying? Like For I sure. never had a reason to even give the another way of thinking about it. As I'm reading Romans seven and light of Romans six, and I'm getting this new revelation, what really struck me is that I was dead to the law. I was like, huh. But but we're supposed to know that in in theory and in by the letter of what we believe. We're supposed to know that we're dead to the law, but like I said earlier, we we have a very strange relationship to it because it's it's almost like we guard it and hold it up as this thing, and I believe it's because we don't understand the work of grace and the Spirit in our life and how we are free from sin. Because if we're still the Romans seven fourteen through twenty five man, 
well, then we need the law to point out our sin. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so when you're free from sin in Romans 6, now it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, now you're looking at Romans 7 and being dead to the law, and now it can make sense. Now it's like, oh, that's how, how it works. Am I correct? I mean, yeah. I mean, when I finally caught the revelation that, um, that like, you also died to the law, right? That's, that's in verse 4. Right. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm dead to the law through the body of Christ. Like, listen, man, if you come from the background, we do. That's a real troubling line. Sure it is. And um, at times I've heard people say, oh, no, no, no. What that means is that you're free from the condemnation of the law. Right. I'm like, well, that's what you're saying. It means. But what it says is that we're dead to the law. And when you read it in Greek, it's, it's to the law. It's yeah. not to the condemnation of the law. There is no condemnation. But the reason there is no condemnation is because we're dead to the law right. through Christ Jesus. And so when I read that, that's what set me on this spiral of like, wait, hold on. I'm free from sin. Check. I'm alive in Jesus Christ. Check. I'm a son. Check. Uh, 100%. Wait, I'm dead to the law? Hmm. How does that work? And then that's what sent me. And so I started doing a deep dive in how I was dead to the law. And now you're bringing back memories, man, because it's been five years. I got a couple books on this relationship of humanity with the law, right? I remember I bought a couple books on Amazon. I started reading, did my own Bible study. And I'm seeing that the Bible teaches that uh, the law is for the unjust. First Timothy 8. And yeah, first Timothy one eight. Yeah, yeah. first. T- thank you, first Timothy one eight. That the laws for the unjust, and uh, Paul is also teaching me that I am no longer unjust. I have been justified. Romans five. I, um, the righteous live by faith. Right. Mm-hmm. So like my category is now righteous. Why? Because righteousness has been given to me as a gift via the one act of obedience in Jesus, Romans 5, uh, you know, 17 through 21. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, so if you're telling me my category is righteous, if you're telling me that I have been justified, if I am now washed, cleansed, and redeemed, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, um, I'm dead to the law. So then what's my relationship to like, how do I relate to the law? Like, what's this? How do I now relate to the law? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I found out that my relationship to the law is exactly what Paul says. It's like, yo, you're dead to it and you serve in the new way. So then for me, and this is where my, my brain works, it's like, okay, if I'm dead to the law, what am I serving in the new way? How am I serving in the new way? Well, what I came to find out was that <laughs> I was not serving the law. I was serving righteousness. Hmm. There's a distinction here. The law is righteous, holy, and good, mm-hmm. right? But the law itself is not the totality of righteousness, right? Righteousness yeah. is Jesus, yeah. right? He is the righteousness of God, right? First and foremost, the dikaiosune of God, the right doing and the righteousness of God is first and foremost found in the very person of God. I think, um, let me get theological real quick. Do it. Um, I think it's Ernst Kaysman. I think it's Ernst Kaysman who says that the righteousness of God, oh, I'm gonna mess this up, but it's, it is the sovereignty of God revealed 
in Jesus. Nah, I'm gonna mess it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have I have it in my head like a picture, but I can't remember the words he says. But he says basically something along the lines. I'll summarize. It. He says something like the righteousness of God is the sovereignty of God, right? Like explicitly manifest in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus that comes to humanity in the form of a gift that's received as a saving power. Hmm. Right? It's it's the so- oh this is what it, it's the sovereignty of God eschatologically. Right? Mm-hmm. Meaning that like in the last days mm-hmm. sort of deal. It's the sovereignty of God eschatologically revealed in the person of Jesus given to us and received by us as a gift that's a saving power. Hmm. Right? That's a summary of it. And so that's the righteousness of God. And when I understood that that righteousness I could receive as a gift and was mine and that I can have it and that I could stand confident, um, then I could agree with Paul. In Philippians chapter three, we're like, yo, everything that was behind, like, I'm just forgetting what's behind because I'm pressing on for what's ahead because of the righteousness that that is in Christ Jesus, right? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So that then Paul says like, yo, under the law, he's like, I was blameless. Like the way, you know, the way I related to the law He's like, but when I actually saw what the law is all about, how it pointed to a righteousness that was foreign to me that was outside of me but that was given to me as a gift i found that my relationship to the law was whack like i was not the perfect dude i thought i was and so this is what began so you see the language i'm using right here this language is what then informs my dive into romans 7 so romans 7 for me was not first cleared up just by reading romans 7 romans 7 was cleared up for me by me getting a clarity on my relationship to the law. So there's this section, probably the most famous section outside of Romans 7 for Adventists in regards to the law is Galatians chapter 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Galatians chapter 3, um, Paul says that the law came in because of transgression. Yeah. And then he says, he has this section where he Mm -hmm. talks about the law was a tutor Mm -hmm. before faith came, Mm -hmm. but now that Christ has come. Mm -hmm. And this section of scripture very famously in 1888 split our church in many ways. And I I mean, that's a very simplistic way of of looking at it, but in many ways, uh, the argument of what this means um, really hurt our movement. As your understanding your relationship, are you able to go now to Galatians 3 at this time in, in 2016 and see that for what it is? When did, when did, and I want to go, I want to get, this is interesting to me, and I think it'll be interesting to people listening to this podcast who've been rocking with us. I want to see this because I want to get to where you're first able to preach this. Sure. So let's just do a little back. Let's just back up real quick if that's okay. Yeah. So me and Richard grew up Seventh-day Adventists, and we're both still Seventh-day Adventists. I'm actually now a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Yeah. Right? Um, and so I very much affirm um, my Adventism and love it in so many ways. And I've had a troubled relationship with it at times, but that's precisely because it's so deep, intimate, and ingrained, right? Just yeah. like with anything, right? We love our parents, but there might have been those years of conflict. <laughs> I always call Adventism my third parent. Because right? it, it helped raise me. And so Adventism as a movement, it emerges in the mid-19th century, yeah. right? Um, 
It emerges in the 1840s, 1850s. We're not organized as a church until the 1860s. And by 1888, we have a, a conference where um, the global church gathers together via representative delegates. <laughs> and when we gather together as a church, um, you know, our key calling card as Adventists has always been the second coming of Jesus. Like Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, right? We come out of what's called the Millerite movement where mm -hmm. William Miller back in the 1830s and 1840s was proclaiming that Jesus was coming in 1844 and uh, he did not come. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Jesus did not come in 1844, but we still felt as though we had so much clarity and understanding about biblical prophecy and about uh, the expectation of Jesus' second coming. And one of those uh points of clarity for so many Adventists became a illumination about the role of the Sabbath, right? Like mm -hmm. the seventh day Sabbath, the spirit of the Sabbath, the reality of the Sabbath, the equality of the Sabbath, the freedom within the Sabbath, the rest of the Sabbath, and how all of that was eternal, that it was never done away with. Right. And so um, because of that, Adventists revere and love the Sabbath and that's why we're Seventh-day Adventists, right? We love the Sabbath and we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And along the development of our theology, um, there became this sort of relationship to Sabbath that was a little rigid and strident. And instead of just being a beautiful sort of exploration of the gift that we had in God, it then became a duty to keep the Sabbath in a very strident and strict way. And not only the Sabbath, but the other 10 commandments, which are holy, righteous, and good. Right? Right. Never want to do away with that. They're holy, righteous, and good. But it came down to this, um, kind of like a, a legalistic. A, well, it came down, you know, it was a, it was a, what was the showdown? It was like a high noon yeah. type showdown yeah. where there was a faction of Adventists that were like, we have to keep the law. Cause if we don't, we are not doing what God wants us to do. And then there was another faction that was like, um, yeah. So the only way you can even get to any semblance of quote unquote, keeping the law is by a righteousness through faith in Jesus, because you can't keep the law yourself. And ultimately, um, your relationship to that law was holistically changed because of Jesus. Right. Right. And, um, so there were these two sides that kind of warded out that was, it was war and it was in Galatians three, is the law that's being discussed in Galatians three, is it the whole totality of the law, including the moral law, the yeah. 10 commandments, or is Galatians three talking about simply and merely the ceremonial law that, uh, has been kind of, um, like it's found its fulfillment in Jesus. Right. Right. And so that faction ward and, uh, ultimately there's been a whole lot of ink spilt on what the resolution was in 1888, but what has become clear a hundred and what, 24 years later, mm. how are we at? No, a hundred and not 24. It's 40. 1834. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 36, 34, 134 years later. Right. If you were born in 88, you're 34 years old. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. 134 years later is that we're still divided on what it means to have righteousness in Jesus and how to walk it out by faith. That's like, that's shorthand. So 134 years later, we still have a, a, a disagreement on what righteousness by faith means. So some 
would hold that righteousness by faith means I'm always a sinner and I always have, uh, I'm the Roman seven person that will forever want to do what I can't do. And then, you know, but thank God for his grace. There's that one side, right? And that's a simplification, but I know a lot of y'all listening know what I'm talking about. So don't front. And then then (laughs) the other side that says, well, because Jesus had victory, we can have victory over sin. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, it's funny because whatever side you land on, it seems so often that people hear us from love reality saying the opposite side. <laughs> Isn't it? We're uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah, we're cuz cuz if you're like the if you're the the side that's like, well just hold on to Jesus, you're always just going to be bad, but hold on to Jesus, then you hear perfectionism from us. Right. Right? But if you're the perfectionist camp, you hear us talk about freedom, 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 and the perfectionist go, "Oh, so you guys are just free to sin, huh? You guys just holding on to Jesus in your sin." So it's just it's funny how it's both sides. Because Ultimately, what emerged for us is that both of those sides have a lot right, but it seems as though they're missing one key element, both of those sides. Freedom and that's from sin. Exactly. That's the element that we harp on so hard is that we are not holding on to Jesus while still enslaved to sin. We believe Jesus has held on to us because he's freed us from sin. We are not striving unto perfection so that one day we could be more fully like so that one day we can have like the fullness of sanctification. We're not striving for perfection. I have the fullness of like, and then I, I let go of this and I got victory over that. And I'm no longer doing this. No, 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 no. We believe that we start from where he finished. So we start from his victory. And what was that victory? That victory was when he got victory over death because he freed us from sin. So on both fronts, yeah, we're, we're holding on to Jesus because he's holding on to us first. We love him because he first loved us and we start from where he's finished. We start from his victory, right? We're not trying to be perfect because we're not perfect now, but Hebrews 10, 14 tells us that through one sacrifice, he has perfected those for all time who are being saved. So we start from where he finished. We start with his victory in mind. So we live a life from victory, right? And so- Oh, man, now I've been talking and I forget what the initial question was. The question was (laughs) when you got to Galatians 3 and you saw that the law came in because of transgression and then its description of what the law does to get us to Jesus. But now that faith has come. Oh, yeah, yeah. So this distinction, this is probably helpful. The law is holy righteousness and good, but the law can't actually give you life. The law can't give you righteousness. Right. Right. Even keeping the law cannot make you righteous in the way that Jesus says we ought to be righteous. Matthew five through seven, when he admonishes and he encourages and like, yo, be ye perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like you can't accomplish that by merely keeping the law. That's the whole point of Galatians. You can only have that righteousness as you receive it from Jesus because he is the righteous one. So if the law wanted righteousness for you, Uh the privilege of the law is to now introduce you to Jesus and tell you, this is whom I've been talking about the whole time. This is the one who can actually give it to you. Right. If the law was a person, the law would be a baptizer. Maybe his name would be John and he'd be. I must decrease and he must increase, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Because although I baptize you in water, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because 
The law cannot give life. The law cannot make you righteous. Not the righteousness that God really requires, right? There's a certain righteousness that you can have as though you, you know, you have standing and correctness in the law all of your days. Like there's so many people in the Old Testament that they were righteous and blameless before God, but yet they were all destined to die. Right. Why? Because the life that was necessary for humanity to endure past the slavery of sin that leads unto death is only possible through Jesus. Like there is no other way. The law cannot give you life. And so Galatians three is absolutely clearly telling us that you receive life through Jesus because he is the faithful one who has come to deposit his life into us through the Holy spirit so that through his faithfulness, Mm -hmm. we now have the privilege of living by faith in him. Mm -hmm. And so Galatians three agrees with Romans six and seven. And then this is where having this understanding is that I finally see that, Oh, this is what it means to live in the spirit. Living in the spirit is living completely um, confident of what Jesus Christ has done and living as though it's true. And in every circumstance, you're led by the instruction that Jesus gives through the Holy Spirit. Now, often people hear what we don't say. It's like, what are you saying? That the law's done away with? No, the law's not done away with. We're just not under it. Right. And that's really clear. Romans 13, 6, 13 and 14, right? You're not under law. You're under grace. So here's what that means. That means that the lives we live, we live in righteousness. And if we live lives in righteousness, then we're living lives in agreement with what the law wanted for us, but could not give us. If we're living in the spirit, we're living lives in righteousness because we've received righteousness as a gift through the obedience of Jesus. That means we're living lives in agreement with the law, although not under it. So then our lives look like the sort of lives that keep the law. Mm -hmm. Why? Not in order to be righteous, but because we are, right? So yes, we hold on to Jesus, but we hold on to Jesus only because he first held on to us. Do we desire perfection? Absolutely, we desire perfection. Not because one day we will be, but because as he is in the world, so are we now. And people like, oh, so what you're saying, you're never gonna sin, you're perfect? Like, nah, y'all, this is by faith. It means that even if we stumble, even if we fall into a pattern of our former ignorance, the cry of the gospel is to rise up and be ye holy as your heavenly father is holy, precisely because he has made you holy by separating you from the world, by separating you from death, by establishing you in life so that the truth of your life is greater than the moment of your stumbling. The truth of your life is greater than the moment of your stumbling. So don't let a moment of your stumbling deter you, move you from the truth as it is in Jesus. So we rise up, we confess, we keep our trust in Jesus because he continues to be faithful. Right. This is stuff we read in the epistles. Right. right, right, right. He says, even if we are faithless, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. Mercy. And so this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 
So we put our trust in Jesus. We keep marching to the beat of Jesus. We don't let a momentary lapse into stupidity position us as less than what Jesus says. If we ever give ourselves over to the stupidity that we were delivered from, we confess it. Father, I've been giving myself over to pride this week. I've been letting my spouse get on my nerves and that's not my spouse's fault. That's my fault. I need to get new nerves. And in Jesus name, I have new nerves. So father, I confess that pride has been holding on. Why? Because my spouse says something. And then I took that as a right to be angry and I held on to it. And then I saw my spouse through the law. Well, if I did, they did. And then I started formulating this equation, Jesus. But you didn't use an equation to formulate me. Hmm. You could have used an equation, but you didn't. And you loved me and you forgave me and you established me. If you love me and you forgave me, well, I can love and forgive because that's something that you've given to me as a gift. So I rise up in confidence because of what you say I am. I confess that I've been living from pride. I put that out in the open and I receive your forgiveness and I'm walking this thing out by faith. Thank you. Thank you for fathering me and loving me because I am a son. I'm in Christ Jesus. I'm free from sin. I'm dead to the law. There is no condemnation. So I can walk in spirit led obedience precisely because I'm in you. Thank you. In Jesus name. Amen. If you're looking for a full breakdown of all these theological concepts that we talk about in this podcast, you could go to PVC Life on YouTube or just search Love Reality. And we did a full wave one and it's free. So if you want a breakdown of what we're talking about, it's called Wave One. Check it out on PVC's YouTube page and I guarantee you'll be blessed. You said the law is not done away with. Yeah. Explain why the law is not done away with. Well, the law is not done away with because it's a eternal demonstration of the way God is and rules, right? Like it's a made like it's it's a it's a transcript of his made and known attributes. Like the attributes of God are codified in law. Mm-hmm. Right? It's 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 an it's a it's an expression of his person. We like to say like it's an expression of his character, mm-hmm. right? So a real cool thing is that the Ten Commandments, for instance, the way that they're formulated in the Hebrew is, um, you know, a professor taught me this, that the not is not in there. Like, Thou shalt not, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's more the idea that the desire for these things will not be present in you. Because the Lord, your God is your God. It's more of a statement. Yeah, it's a statement. Like, for instance, Ten Commandments does not begin with thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's not where the Ten Commandments begin. The Ten Commandments begin with I am the God who brought you out of the house of bondage. Mm -hmm. I am the God who has liberated you from slavery. That's where the Ten Commandments begin. Mm -hmm. And because I have here's what we miss. And because I have freed you from slavery, wink, wink. Mm -hmm. Because I have freed you from slavery, wink, wink, you will not desire or this will not transpire within y'all, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Ten Commandments are written as, as promises of the reality of living in God's freedom. The Ten Commandments are written as promises of the reality of living in God's freedom, right? And so those promises have absolutely become the truth of who we are in Jesus, because although the law is this beautiful depiction 
of a life in freedom. Although the, the Ten Commandments are a codification of what God desires and wants for us and how to be in intimacy with him and one another, the codification of those things cannot give life. Right. You can write you can write love letters to your wife all your life. But those love letters pale in comparison to you literally loving your life in your body and in your person. Loving your wife, yeah. Right? And so the Ten Commandments are, as long as Jesus is alive, the, te- the, the law can't pass away. But its purpose and its the function. Exactly. He's the fulfillment of it. But its purpose and its function was to lead us to Jesus. And that's why it's... Not done away That's with why it's, it's not still done doing away that. Because it's still doing that. <laughs> not be- to us, but First Timothy 1, For, 9. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, now we are led by the Spirit. Yeah. And it was so dope. The Spirit never disagrees with the law. Right. Like, the Spirit does not disagree with the law. What the Spirit does is actually demonstrates to us what the point of the law was all about the whole time. In the person and in the face of Christ Jesus. That's why we have a surpassing glory. Because what the law was trying to reveal to us has been revealed in Christ Jesus. So I get my revelation from Jesus through his spirit. That's absolutely in agreement with the law, but it comes from Jesus. The source of my righteousness is Jesus, not the law, but they are in agreement, Mm -hmm. right? The source of my life is Jesus, not the law, but they are in agreement. The law cannot give life even more boldly. The law is not of faith. Paul says this in Galatians. The law is not of faith, but the righteous will live by faith. Mm-hmm. And what is that faith? It's found in Christ Jesus. So if we go all the way back, I'm reading this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm finally seeing the relationship to the law. I'm understanding with clarity how this all works and how the law is holy, righteous, and good, how the law is not done away with. But I am not under the written code anymore right right because now i serve in the new way of the spirit and it's so important to understand what i serve i now serve righteousness right in the spirit what is it that the law was pointing me to righteousness Righteousness. what do i now serve righteousness Righteousness. so is my life in agreement with the law yes does it come from the law no No. (laughs) right (laughs) yeah so now i offer myself up to christ as somebody who has been brought from death to life in righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. So this is all coming clear for me. And now, you know, I'm waking up in the morning and like, I can freely offer up myself to Christ. So this is, this is Romans six, right? Yeah. So if we go to Romans six real quick and you see in Romans six, uh, verse 13, <clears throat> excuse me, where he says that do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. What's Paul saying? They're like, yo, don't present your body, your life, your person, to the deceitfulness of sin. Don't offer yourself to it. Why? He says it, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Right. And so that's what I believed. I believed that I had been brought from death to life in Jesus Christ because I received his word. He transferred me from death to life. And then he told me I wouldn't come into judgment. John 5, 22 through 24. Right. right. Look what he keeps saying in Romans six, right? Uh, you have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Mm -hmm. So I offer myself as an instrument for righteousness. Why? Because I'm now in the category of righteous. I have been made righteous through Christ Jesus. Romans 5. I have standing. I have been justified by faith. So now I offer up myself to God 
as an instrument, my whole body, my whole person as an instrument for, to righteousness. Why? Because sin will have no dominion over me since I'm not under law, but I'm under grace. So grace is now the power that animates the righteousness I've received as a gift. Grace is the power that animates the righteousness I've received as a gift, because in my weakness, his grace is sufficient and it is strong. Hmm. It's powerful to move me in his working. Right. So that's what that's what I understood. Okay, so tell me about when the completeness of forgiveness really started to make sense and land with you. So as I'm reading and understanding my relationship to the law, I think this is a good question because I think the next phase in my thinking was what it really means to be forgiven. Right. Right. That um, I used to think as many of, the listeners do that forgiveness is like a more, a momentary, uh, momentary, yeah, a momentary sort of favor that's bestowed by God when we ask for it mm-hmm. until the next time we're in need of it. And in asking for it, we receive a certain uh, peace and recognition that we did our part and that he is faithful and just to do his part. Like, mm-hmm. You need to ask for forgiveness. And then in you asking for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from unrighteousness until the next time you get dirty and then you got to come back to the washing machine. And that's what I thought for a long, long time until um, I was really challenged on what does forgiveness really mean? Like the word and, and it's used in context in scripture. Like, what is it? And what I began to understand was that forgiveness is a, a release. Forgiveness hmm. is a sending away. Right. Like there is a legit release and a legit sending away of um, like if you use economic language, there's a debt that's Mm -hmm. done away with. If you're thinking about like emotionally and relational language, that there's a release from um, the offense that you committed. Right. So you, Richard, you slap me in the face and I don't position you according to the slap. I offer the other cheek. Right. Mm-hmm. and say you slap me again well then i don't then use that as justification against you i continue to offer myself in a way that's like hey man now don't hear what we're not saying i'm not saying like just offer your body to abuse <laughs> no this is not at all what i'm saying i'm saying that forgiveness is something that releases somebody from the offense right right um that I'm not seeing you through the offense that the offense does not uh, come into uh, acknowledging your personhood and your identity and worth so that forgiveness as a release, forgiveness as a liberty, right? Which is um, one of the definitions uh, in the Greek for the word forgiveness. I think it's pronounced a femi maybe Um, is this release descending away so that, all of a sudden it began to emerge for me that forgiveness is uh, what uh, allows for freedom. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Like without the sending away, without the release, you can't be free because you're still held slave to the debt, still held slave to the offense, still held debt to the thing. Right. Right. Okay. So with that in mind, it began to become clear to me that forgiveness was accomplished um, not simply in the event of Jesus dying on the cross. This is this right here is where we get into some good theology. And uh, 
um, we can keep diving into it if you give me permission. Let's go, dude. Okay. So a form of theology would say that we get forgiveness at the cross, right? Mm -hmm. And, and we get forgiveness at the cross because Jesus satisfies some sort of legal reckoning where someone has to die. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the debt is paid because Jesus dies. And it's as though God requires someone to die in order to satisfy his law that is framed in economic terms. There's mm -hmm. a debt that is owed and that debt requires blood being spilt. Right mm -hmm. now that Jesus died and that his death is necessary is absolutely true that Jesus died to satisfy a reality of the universe is also true. Mm -hmm. Right. And here's why it's true because the whole realm of sin, the whole reality of sin that leads to death that you and I were imprisoned under, Mm -hmm. That whole reality necessarily by necessity needs to be condemned and done away with. Right. Mm -hmm. And God cannot just snap his finger and say, sin exists no more. Because if he did that, then he's violating the free will choice of so many beings who have actually rebelled against his government. Mm -hmm. So in heaven, when the enemy, the Satan mm -hmm. rebels, well, Lucifer, right? Who we call the, the morning star, right? When he rebels against the kingdom of heaven, mm -hmm. he does so as a free will choice. Mm -hmm. He takes others with him in a free will choice. They set up a alternative way of governing. And that alternative way of governing is underwritten by sin that leads to death, mm -hmm. right? So if the government of God is underwritten by his being, his love, his mercy, his justice, his righteousness, the government of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world is underwritten by self-centeredness that we call sin. Mm -hmm. And that self-centeredness called sin ultimate leads to death. And why does it lead to death? Because it's disconnected from the life-giving source that is God. Why? Because it's an alternate government that stands in contrast and competition to the government of God. So God will not give life to sustain a alternative way of living that threatens the good of the whole universe. Mm -hmm. Right? So since that is the state of affairs, life is what will perpetuate more life in the kingdom. Mm. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. You still with me? So the government, the shadow government, the alternative government, which is now localized here on earth mm -hmm. because we're the beings and creatures that fall into rebellion mm -hmm. along with Lucifer and the fallen ones from heaven, this alternative government is absolutely covered and dripping in its slavery to sin. Hmm. 
And that slavery to sin leads to one place and one place alone, death. Mm -hmm. So then how is God going to redeem free will agents and not violate their free will by just snapping his finger like Thanos and making it go away? Mm -hmm. Because if he did that, then he's not the God he claims to be because he violates free will. Then he's not a loving God. Mm -hmm. You with me? Mm Mm-hmm. So what does God do? God sends his only son into the world to suffer the full weight of sin. Like Jesus suffers the full weight of sin. He carries the full weight of the alternative way of being. The full weight of disconnection from God. He endures that at the cross. The full weight of embodying the lie that is sin. The full weight of our negativity, our violence, our hatred, our bitterness, our anger, our betrayal, our rejections, our trauma. Jesus endures and takes all of it, all of it, all of it on. Right. He becomes it. This is the mystery of the gospel that at the cross, Jesus becomes the whole weight, the fullness of of the deception that is the alternative government that's rooted in sin and that leads to death. Are you still with me? Mm -hmm. I hope your eyes aren't glazing over. I hope you're following. No, I'm listening. Okay. So (laughs) Jesus becomes all of that, right? Mm -hmm. But because he himself stayed absolutely. So think about this. Jesus becomes the full weight of the alternative government, but he still remains fully committed to the form of governance that God says is the way Hmm. even at the expense of his own life. So Jesus demonstrates that God's governance is the way of, of living and being even at the expense of his life. So when he's at the cross and the chasm between him and life is so broad, so black and so deep, The chasm between him and life is so broad, so black and so deep. He still goes headlong into death in order to secure the life of others. And in doing so, he demonstrates that this is the way. And it's not only a demonstration, right? Mm. It's a demonstration to be sure. But you know what else he does? He takes the whole weight of sin in his person and takes it to the grave with him. This is why Jesus' death is substitutionary, because he takes the weight of sin in our place. Mm -hmm. This is why the death of Jesus is also vicarious, because as he resurrects, we resurrect with him. We die with him Mm -hmm. and we live with him. Right. Mm -hmm. It's substitutionary. It's vicarious. And it's also atoning. It's atoning Mm -hmm. because it reconciles us back to God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus takes the whole weight of it. Him for us, substitutionary. It's in our place and it's done for us so that we can die his death and live his life. So it's vicarious Mm -hmm. and it reconciles us back to God. So it's atoning, right? Mm -hmm. So that at the cross, it's not merely that there's some sort of economic ledger that's being satisfied. At the cross in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the universe itself is tilting on its access because the validity of the government of God is being demonstrated in its fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. While at the same time, the weight 
and the burden and the monstrosity that is sin is being swallowed up whole by the sin bearer, Jesus. And at the cross, Jesus, the sin bearer, endures the wrath of divine justice. And that wrath is the full separation, the full removal of the father's presence and the weight of sin being put on Jesus. He endures the wrath of divine justice. And for our sake, he becomes sin itself. Hmm. And then he rises up in newness of life. And in rising up in newness of life, he resurrects humanity with him. How? Because Jesus is the new human. He himself is still a human while also being God. This is what is called in theological circles, the new theandric activity. He is both theos, God, andric, man, theandric, andros, theos, andros. So he becomes the new theandric activity. And what I began to understand was that in the very person of Jesus, humanity has been released from the domain of sin because Jesus has gone through death and come out on the other side, completely separated from the realm of sin and death. And he's actually put that realm to death in his own person, in his own body. So that then my forgiveness, my release, my separation from sin is absolutely true and secure in his body because of what he has done because of what he has accomplished because he is alive because he is absolutely separated from sin and he is free from sin. Right. Right. That's why Romans six, seven, it's true about us, but it first has to be read Christologically for the one who has died, has been set free from sin. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the one who died Romans six ten, and he died to sin. And now because he's alive, I am alive with him because I died his death in baptism so that then this is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the reality that I have been released from the slavery to sin. So then the question might arise, well, what are you saying, Jonathan? We just live forgiven. Yes, we live in the reality of forgiveness. And when you understand how much you've been forgiven, that you've been freed from the clutches of death. Because you've been loved well by a father who didn't see you as a slave, but saw you as a child first. Then love awakens love within us. Mm. And we see how great the cost was to God in order to love us well. He not only demonstrated it, but he carried the burden of sin and put it to death and forever altered his reality for our sake. Jesus is forever going to be a man. He's forever God, but he's forever a man. The whole reality of the universe, the very, the very, the, the, the Godhead itself has altered itself for our sake so that I can live forgiven. And when I begin to get a glimpse that this is what heaven has done for me, mercy, how can I not live in the confidence and love that he says is mine? If this is, all from love to me, right? Mm-hmm. Those, you know, the, the, there's a, an author <laughs> who, who, who does a summary, like those, those feet that had been on missions of mercy so often, they were nailed to those cross, those hands that served so willingly, nailed to the cross, 
that mouth that spoke with such life and beauty now shaped in the cry of woe. This was all from love to me. It wasn't to me so that I could be something more. It, like, let me say that again. It wasn't from me because I was less than. Right. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't to me from him. Like, oh, well, you, you, you kind of suck and I'm going to help you along the way. No, it was from love because he saw me for what I was. He saw me in value. He saw me in worth. He saw me through my destiny. I didn't see myself that way because I was trapped in sin. I wasn't living that because I was a slave to sin. Right. I'm not walking in what I was created to be because my whole being has been corrupted by sin. And he looks at me and he says, that ain't what you were created for. This isn't the reality of your life. This isn't the truth of your destiny. I am going to come into the wickedness, the woe, the hurt, the trauma, the rejection, the abuse, the violence, the betrayal of this world. I'm going to receive it unto myself. I'm going to completely absorb it in my whole life. I'm going to put an end to it in my death. And I'm going to usher in a new reality in my resurrection so that you can participate in the life that you were created for from the very life of God. You were not created to be under this false father and this false government of Satan. This is a, a, an aberration. This is not meant to exist. This is not life given. This is not your destiny. Now we'll come into this world to prove that the father's love is for you so that you can have standing because that's what you were created for. And so when he resurrected, he tells me that I actually have this release in him. I'm forgiven, man. So then the question is like, well, Jonathan, what do you do now when you sin? I, I tell you what I do when I sin. First John 1, 9, I confess it. People look at first John 1, 9 and they think that confession means like asking for forgiveness. Nah, y'all. It means confessing it. Like, you know, it, it's a funny thing in relationships, Rich. Like, you know, that moment when you do something reckless to your wife. Mm hmm. If you know your wife is a Christian, mm -hmm. right, you can leverage the asking for forgiveness as a weapon against her because mm -hmm. you can go up to her and you could be like, Natalie, I'm sorry. I'm asking that you forgive me. <laughs> and if she doesn't forgive you, you could be like, yo, what are you doing? You say you're a Christian. You're supposed to read the Lord's prayer. Right. And all of a sudden you weaponize it against her. Right. What happens if you go up to her with no agenda, Just not like, asking for anything, but recognizing that you did what you did yeah. and you say, Natalie, I did such and such a thing. I'm sorry. That's it. I did this. I'm sorry. And you just offer yourself up to her knowing that you did what you did. I'm yeah. sorry. Which one's more authentic and real? The, the simple confession yeah, or the asking? Man, we were talking with a friend of ours this week and he was talking about when he would ask his wife for forgiveness, it was for him exactly to feel. It was for him to be released of the weight. Yeah. It wasn't for him to actually, you know, offer up his confession, and say my bad. He's like, it felt so bad, and he needed to be affirmed again. Mm -hmm. And that's that. And so you ask for forgiveness in order to get the forgiveness, so that you feel better. Yeah. Instead of recognize the deceitfulness of the thing you were participating in. So. What I found in first John one nine was that it was a responsibility to confess precisely because the love of God had demonstrated to me that I wasn't that thing, but I had to deal seriously with this thing. Right. And so that this was a part of the pruning confession is a part of the pruning. Yeah. And so 
if I ever participated in a pattern of my former ignorance, now that I'm in freedom and, and you know, amongst us, you know, it's happened before. Oh, I speak out of turn or I say something like, yo, yo, rich man, I spoke out of turn. I'm sorry. And just to own it, man, in that moment, like you own the weight of it. And then you offer yourself up to that person in a way that you're completely, I mean, it's more so vulnerable. It's so open when, when you're not working through formula, it's just, I did this. I'm sorry. I did this. I'm sorry. That is what I, I own it. I own it. It was wrong. It was wrong. It's not me. It has no place in my life. I'm sorry. It, I, I did it. That's confession. And that sort of pruning, that sort of confessing is only possible because we've been loved. You know, I heard somebody say, yo, wasn't you? Was it you? Yeah, it was you. <laughs> it was you me. said that you were like, yo, you can only be pruned if you're loved. Yeah. Because if you're not loved, all of a sudden you mistake pruning for people coming for your life. For yeah. God for some coming sort of for attack, your life, yeah. Right? And if you don't see if you don't see the pruning through love, you don't see it as correction, right? This is Hebrews I think uh twelve, right? Where he's like, yo. He's disciplining us like a father who loves us because we're loved. So confession became this powerful thing for me where it was like, man, this is speaking for me, like, man, I had been asking God for forgiveness as a formula. Cause like, well, if I ask, he's faithful and just to forgive me. He has to. Then I read that passage and that passage does not first and foremost speak about me asking for forgiveness. It speaks about me confessing. And then that word confessing, uh, homo logoi, uh, it, it, it's the Greek for it is a same word to speak the same word. So to speak the same word and speak in agreement, the truth about sin, father, I did this. This is what it is. I'm sorry. But then on the other side of it, to receive the same word that he speaks about it and to confess that, what does the father speak? The father says in Jesus name, you actually have forgiveness of sin, right? In mm-hmm. Jesus name. You have the redemption of your souls, right? Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, you have been forgiven, Jonathan. Rise up in confidence. In Jesus' name, it's absolutely yours. So this intimate relationship now between me and my dad that I can run to him and acknowledge my failings. And he just fathers me through him. He doesn't. And the thing is, he doesn't he doesn't shade them as anything other than what they are. Like God never uh, 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 just glides over our sin like he very much is still fathering us in freedom and pointing things out to us like hey this here thing ought not be and then what do we do we confess and we're reminded that we live in his redemption when people hear us preach freedom from sin they say oh you guys are done now heck no because we're free from sin now we get to be disciplined in that different way because we're loved so much uh and because we've been uh forgiven much we love much yeah And so that's what I understood, man. And so um, I understood that I live in the reality of forgiveness because that's what I have in Jesus, that I've been released and I've been freed. But now because I'm in Jesus, um, I'm stewarded by my father through the Holy Spirit to actually live a life of um, confession. And that confession is I confess my participation in the patterns of my former ignorance, but I also confess the goodness of his life over me, right? The confession of God's goodness is the vitality of our lives. So I confess, I confess his goodness as well, right? That's, that's one of the most powerful things that 
has changed my life is to constantly confess the goodness of God over my life, to rely and lean on the promises, not because they're now the method, but because they are the intimacy I have with my father. So, you know, reading Romans eight, I was even going through that this morning, you know, me in the tub dog. And it was like, yo, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And to make that personal, there is no condemnation for me, Jonathan, because I am in Christ Jesus for the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death for the law of the spirit of life has set me Jonathan free from the law of sin and death because God did for me, for me, he did what the law couldn't do when he sent Jesus Christ into this world in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in me because I walk according to the spirit because God has fathered me and calls me son. And so I confess those promises and I live through that, man. And um, often, so it was here, Rich, that I just started like receiving such, we started calling it Godfidence, <laughs> just confidence, Godfidence. So I'm a son, I'm free, I'm established, I'm living forgiven. I have the privilege of confessing. Like The law is not a condemning tool anymore because now I have, I'm free from condemnation in Jesus name. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Does that mean I live in sin? By no means. I live in the power of the Holy Spirit through the spirit of Christ that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Right. And then I went to Romans seven. So this time in 2016, were you getting a lot of preaching gigs or because you were in your doctorate, you were just kind of, uh, from, here and there like when was the first chance that you got to preach and were you thinking about preaching anything other than the gospel so i'll tell you the truth um i was scheduled to preach as the young adult preacher for a camp meeting in a for a conference and so i was scheduled to be the young adult preacher and that was mid-june of 2016 and that was already on the books for months in advance Mm -hmm. and um when i got the revelation of the father's love when i got free the first week of june um i just settled it with god i said lord uh you tell me what you want to say because everything prior to this has just been too often my own my own stuff so you tell me what you want to say and um I remember I just sought him in prayer, bro. Mm -hmm. I'd done so much theology. I'd done so much Bible study and the whole nine. I was just like, yo, you tell me what you want to say. And I remember I got up there and uh, I preached the prodigal son, bro. That was the first time I preached the prodigal son. And it just kind of came out. I just came out, man. I had been dwelling on that passage for quite some time. Mm -hmm. I mean, not quite some time, but for like the past week, week and a half, mm-hmm. two weeks, maybe I think it was. So I got up there and I came out. I had been dwelling on me being in Christ. So I got up and um, Adam one, Adam two clicked in my, my head. Now, there was a lot of study that had gone into that. I remember I heard a professor once say that Romans five presented two ages, the age of Adam one, the age of Adam two, and that these two ages don't coincide. Mm-hmm. I remember that was in a uh, a theological journal article that I had read mm-hmm. and it was like a throwaway line, but it stuck with me and I had like kind of pursued it a little bit. And when I went up to preach, 
that just distinctly came back in my brain and I did it with the audience. I was like, let's play a game, y'all. Let's play this game. And I was like, let's play a game and we're just going to see which atom is it. Hmm. That's where it came from. That's cool. So we're going to see which atom is it. Is it atom one or atom two? We're going to read Romans five. We're going to look at these key words and then we're going to ask which atom it belongs to. And the audience was like, yeah, let's do it. Cool. I was like, all right, cool. And so we had a whiteboard up there. Mm-hmm. That's where the whiteboard thing started. We had a whiteboard <laughs> up there. I was like, let me use this whiteboard. And so we did it with the audience. And at the end of it, we put the words down and we saw the list and it just emerged from scripture. And we, the audience was floored. And I was floored. I was like, man, look at this. Right. And one side is death, condemnation, the worst. And then the other side is awesome. And we saw that uh, Romans five teaches us that we're in Adam two. And we were just all all geeked. And that was where that came from. Hmm. Right. So that's where I was pumped. I started preaching and yeah, I started getting calls from people to come out and one invitation led to another. And were you, were you getting a different kind of encouragement from before? Like the encouragement was more about what the, the truth was saying. Like, tell me about the encouragement you were getting from people hearing new Jonathan preach this mug. Yeah. So at first it was really, really, um, just people coming alive and catching a revelation and being really excited about they were hearing. And I was excited to share it because I was growing in it. You know, I was spending so much time in the Bible and just realizing that the way I had it constructed in my head was super off because I didn't understand freedom. And so a lot of people were 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 really um, digging it. I, I remember the first time I received pushback. I was preaching at a church and I was talking about how if we were so loved, you know, uh, how could we hold anything against somebody else? I remember I said that. I was like, it's just incredible that if we're loved, God asks us, if you're loved so well, how can you hold something against somebody else? You know, love your enemies, right? Don't count those trespasses against them. Mm-hmm. Um, don't see them in the flesh. And I remember there was a sister in the back, this lady, and she had a very strong and visceral reaction to that. She was like, you don't know what such and such did to me. Da, 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 da. And uh, she started naming some injustices that she had experienced in her life. Mm-hmm. And I remember, <laughs> I was like, but sister, I was like, this is very true and well, but what does the text say? She's like, ah, oh, it's not that easy. I was like, ain't nobody saying it's easy. I'm just saying that this is what the text says. And I remember it was really awkward. It was a small church. She, she insisted, insisted, like, it can't just be like that. Life isn't like that. And so I incorrectly now, <laughs> I said, well, what if I told you all the stuff that I've been through? What if I told you all the stuff about the stuff my family has been through? And I started naming some injustices we've suffered, right? You know. Um, and uh, we fall into this thing where we start measuring ourselves against ourselves. And then we start biting one another and we destroy one another, Paul teaches us. Uh, that sister didn't come back. She didn't come back to any of the meetings the rest of the week. And I remember I was so confused. I was like, here's a sister who's been in the in the church all her life. She was well into her 50s, not 60s. You know, probably 50s, 60s, I don't know. Here's a, and I know this sister's been in the church all her life. She's been a leader in the church. And she found this so offensive. I remember I was so confused. Hmm. I was like, how can this be so offensive? How can it be so offensive? 
um, if it's just the plain teaching of scripture that we're ought to love our enemies because we've been loved well, not even the freedom from sin piece, even though that's really clear in scripture, it's just something that we can all agree on. Jesus taught us to love our enemies, right? right? And to endure suffering at the hands of our enemies at times and not retaliate in the way that the, um, the world retaliates, right? Like this is basic Christian teaching, right? When he was reviled, he did not revile. Mm-hmm. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. He did not open up his mouth, right? We're taught to practice that, emulate that. And uh, just even saying that in light of our sonship, like to be saved, since we are sons and daughters, this is the privilege of our lives to live it this way. Man, you got a strong, strong pushback. And I was like, what? But then I kept preaching and he kept getting received well and kept going. And I remember it was, it was good. It was good. It was good until... um yeah, man. The more we preach, then then little things start showing up. Um, one time we preached a series and the pastor was like, hey, man, you, you need to pump your brakes on the stuff you're saying, because, you know, you're telling people they're free from sin and you're telling them that they have to live different. Like, that's a lot to be telling them, like in four or five days. I remember I looked at the pastor. I was like, didn't y'all do a Daniel Revelation series here last year? He's like, yeah. He's like, aren't these members that you're telling me about that are having like being rubbed the wrong way? Haven't they been in your pews for 20 years? Yeah. And you're telling me not to read what scripture says because it's rubbing them the wrong way Hmm. that they're free from sin and that the way we're supposed to live is to do nothing without grumbling. And I started reading Paul. Paul says, do nothing without do do nothing like sorry, do nothing with complaining or grumbling. right? Right. Do not grumble or complain. Esteem everybody else is better than yourself. Philippians. That's tough stuff. Mm -hmm. This is what Paul says, right? And so I started pointing out, I was like, you know, we talk about keeping the commandments, but what about these instructions right here? What about doing nothing with grumbling or complaining? What about esteeming everybody better than ourselves? Right? Mm -hmm. How about that? Start getting pushback, bro. What did, did that do? Just be like, yeah, true, but just keep pumping the brakes, or you know, like. Well, you know, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a little headstrong, man. I'm zealous, and I make no apologies for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mostly because you know I read Paul and I read Jesus, and they made no apologies about addressing, especially to religious leaders, what the book says. And so this pastor, religious leader, is going to tell me that his. The members that were complaining were also elders at the church, mm-hmm. particularly one elder. That was, oh, this is, you got to slow down on this. It's too much. And uh, I, I did stop. I mean, for better, for worse, I just, you know, just said to the pastor, listen, if, if, if you can tell me that what I'm saying is not in scripture, then I'll stop. And if you can tell me that I shouldn't preach this, but you guys are allowed to preach the mark of the beast. You know, I'll stop. Um, and yeah, we finished the week, but it was it was it's been very eye opening to me in in this regard. Um, you know, I don't, there's there's no one person who has stewarded the gospel uh, with the best, the purest, and integrity that's never fallen or wavered. Right? There was one. His name was Jesus. Yeah. Other than that, the rest of us, we're all learning on this journey. You know, even Paul, when he had his 
big dust up with Mark or when he with Peter, we're all learning. But even as we're learning and as we're growing, we still say things with finality and truth, right? You read the book of Galatians and Paul doesn't shy away. You read Corinthians, Paul doesn't shy away. You read Titus and Timothy, Paul doesn't shy away. You follow the story of our Lord Jesus, the way he talks to religious leaders who said that, who claim to have known like, oh, well, they knew scripture. He doesn't shy away. So we don't shy away from what the book says, particularly to religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been I've been very surprised by the resistance to freedom from sin and the resistance to things like, uh, um, you know, we're not supposed to live with offense. Like, don't let offense have a place in your life. Oh, Jonathan, that's, a, that's, that's easier said than done. I understand, but it's still the call. We we can't give any permission to letting offense rule our lives. You know, often something I have found very surprising has been how quickly we can retreat to um, identifying with an unconverted man. We say, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm just a human being. I'm just a human being. But that's identifying with Peter, who is an unconverted man at that point, And he's apart from prayer. And in that scenario, you know, just prior to that, that's where Jesus tells him, get thee behind me, Satan. But we identify with him um, more so than we identify with the instructions of our Lord who teaches us to love our enemies, to not revile, to worry about nothing, to not live with anxiety. You know, these things like, Hey y'all in Jesus name, we don't have to see ourselves through anxious feelings. Can we experience anxiety? Absolutely. Does it come? Absolutely. Is it a part of life at time? Yes, 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 yes. But does Jesus say, does Jesus still say, be anxious for nothing? Yeah. Right. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Yeah. Be anxious for nothing. You know, not things, prayer and thanksgiving. Like you say something like that now at church, like beloved, we don't have to live through anxiety. And you get some strong pushback. You don't know. It's like, how you know that? I don't know. How you know that I wasn't crippled by performance anxiety. Mm. You don't know. All you hear is that I'm saying don't. And you hear the don't as a condemnation on you when it's not. It's just a repetition of what the Lord has taught us. There's a lot of grace in it, though. There's a lot of. There's a lot of empathy for all of us who suffer through anxiety or through cares and concerns through, you know, right now in the modern, modern parlance through mental illness. That's real. That's very, very real. It needs to be handled with grace and with care. But we cannot, we cannot nullify the words of the master just because we're enduring these things. The word of the master is be anxious for nothing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like. They're not mutually exclusive in this thing. Like just because we experience anxiety doesn't mean that it nullifies the words of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? For sure. And then we give permission to ourselves to live within ourselves at the expense of the words of Jesus, because we see no way out other than the way we've been living. And, um, I'm, I'm very much confused by that way of thinking because there is a way out. And his name is Jesus. And that way out doesn't mean that you're going to be radically cured from everything that you've ever experienced. But it means that 
we don't live through or we don't live from that which we experience. That isn't the first forming feature of our identity in life. The first forming feature of our identity in life is what God has spoken over us, what he has accomplished in Jesus, the power of the spirit maintained in community to encourage one another and to constantly, constantly be giving ourselves over to these promises as we see the day approaching to hold fast to that which is good and to throw away that which doesn't edify, to lean in to everything that God says is ours and to stand firm on the word of God that says we are free from sin, that we are in the spirit, that we are redeemed, that we have been cleansed, that we have been washed, that we have been brought from death to life, that we have the mind of Christ, that every blessing is ours in Jesus name. All of these things are promises that are absolutely sure because Jesus is alive. So why not identify with those more readily than identifying with a man that's unconverted apart from prayer? Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Well, here's the good news, my beloved. In Christ, by faith, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. Romans 8, 9. Hmm. I promise you, you might say to me, Jonathan, you don't know me well. You know, sometimes I'm in the flesh. I say, I don't need to know you. I know everything I need to know about you through Christ Jesus, who has loved you and empowered you to live according to the destiny that he saw you through and has given you in the Holy Spirit. It is not offensive to lean into the good things that God says about you. It is it not. It should not be offensive to lean into the good things that God says about you. And if you lean into the good things that God says about you and you still say to yourself, well, I just feel like I'm not measuring up. My beloved, there is no measuring up. There is just being because God says you are. Don't let your behavior determine the truth of who you are. Let his word be your constant God companion and steadfast surety so that you can live from it and not primarily from anything else. These are the things I have found, man. That doesn't mean that life hasn't had its circumstances. It has. You know it. Well, he told it. he told us it was going to be like that, right? He said well, you'd yeah. overcome the world, though. But he set us on a rock. He, you know, let me uh, wrap up with this question. When you start preaching this thing, you didn't think, oh, it's going to become a, a 10 or a nine night, 10 message kind of jump off, but then it did. And then like you didn't see the future as what you have seen take place. You know, we linked up in 2019, but you were doing this since 2017. Sometimes you on the road with just you and Christian or just you by yourself. And, and then it's become a different thing. And then there's, pushback and then this crazy thing happened with our squad just kind of in 2019 as you have seen all of this uh and from 2017 now in 2022 you know we're recording this where we're in colorado doing a love reality and the bible studies are going the website is up the podcast has been gaining listenership and and you just published a book this week yeah, I never thought it would be. Tell this. me about that. Tell me about the journey and 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 all of that and walking through that. So it's been a dope journey, man. And I don't want to concentrate on like some of the the you know just we, just these last you know fifteen twenty minutes. That stuff is real, but it's not the joy of our lives. Like the joy of our lives is seeing people come into liberty, seeing this gospel actually take hold of people's lives and bear fruit. I never thought I'd be part of something like, yo, before the gospel, before the gospel hit, dog, you think I walked anybody through freedom? You think I introduced <laughs> anybody to Jesus Christ? Nah, bro. I didn't invite, I didn't, you know, right up to it. I can't say that I personally 
right. had just stewarded somebody into Jesus Christ from the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Maybe I sat down and did Bible studies that I got from somewhere. Like I had a little, you know, little 28 yeah. or 30, whatever. I'm like, let's read through these and hopefully something happens. Right. Yeah. But I had never sat down with somebody, opened up a Bible or sat down with somebody and just shared a testimony and saw the power of the living Christ actually manifest. Cause you know, early on in the book of acts, they weren't rolling around with the new Testament in their pocket, <laughs> right? The new Testament had yet to be written because they were actually enacting it through the power of the Holy spirit. They didn't have the old Testament. That stuff was expensive. A bunch of them were illiterate. You know, all they had was the testimony of Jesus and the power of a changed life and the truth that he was resurrected from the dead and that the spirit had actually given them power and life to live this thing out. And they were telling anybody and everybody. And as they told anybody and everybody, a bunch of people got mad. A bunch of people got saved. And the conclusion was that these men have turned the world upside down. Hmm. Right. And so when we started telling people, I started telling people, but, you know, I started finding out so many people that were actually on it. Like, you yeah. know, my own hidden veil did not appreciate how many people actually understood and were walking it out. And they knew the experience of trying to tell others and being met with resistance. Yeah. You know, you would talk and people were like, man, I've been trying to share this at my church. and It's tough. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, wow. And I'm coming alive. I'm being established. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to go back to Andrews. I'm going to finish my doctorate. And, you know, cool. Then I was encouraged by somebody like Jonathan. I really think you need to keep going, get established even more because this thing is powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 2018 comes around, you know, mm -hmm. I've been preaching this 27, all of 2017 um, through efforts over in the Hawaiian islands, 2018 comes around and, I'm looking to go back to my program and things happen where I don't go back to it. And I get a bunch of calls to just travel all the whole year. And bro, I traveled the whole year, uh, went to overseas several times, you know, um, I just got invitations from all over the place. Just, they just kept coming and I'm preaching this stuff. People are coming alive you know, and, and it's just so dope. And I'm getting encouragement from pastors and church members who like, yeah, this, this is it, man. This is the gospel. And I'm like, all right. And, cool, um, cool, cool. Well, at the same time, you know, getting a little pushback, you know, people are like, nah, we're not free from sin. You don't know my life. And I'm like, I mean, I know the book and the book's a lot older than you are. Mm -hmm. And it's been, you know what I'm saying? Like that sort of deal. And then, you know, then it was, um, all right, fine. We're free from sin, but I still have to do this, this, and this. Right. And it was these objections that you started hearing that were coming at the expense of just the, from my vantage point, the simplicity and the beauty of it. But <clears throat> bless the Lord, it kept, it just kept being a thing. And by 2019, um, we'd gotten enough invitations that we decided to uh, kind of organize officially mm -hmm. for Love Reality. And we did. And we started off by doing some work in the Northwest. Went to Pleasant Valley Church in Happy Valley, Oregon, near Portland. And that church just came alive and it was dope. And then that's the one that's on YouTube that everybody yeah. could see. And we went to other churches and people were coming alive. And yeah, you know, there's resistance. And we're learning to get even more clarity in communicating certain things. For sure. And <clears throat> yeah, man, all of a sudden it became a thing. And <clears throat> there was a likelihood now. Cause I was being invited and I was receiving remuneration 
and um, I can now bring a team. And man, it was like, I'm really trying to get back to school. But every time I try to get back to school, the door was not open for that. And the door was open for this. And then, you know, we do a weekend in California in Santa Rosa and I see Tyler Morrison and the Lord's like, yo, you shouldn't invite him to come out with you. So I invite Tyler. I'm like, yo, you open for this week. He's like, yeah, yeah. So I bring him out. Uh-huh. And now it's me, Christian, and Tyler. And Justin Koo is like helping us out because he's doing social media stuff. And he comes through. And um, my friend Joyce, who I had been talking to and had been connected through um, through Eddie and Jayla Cornejo, reached out to Joyce. I'm like, yo, we're on the West Coast. We're in Cali. You should come through, hang out. She comes through and she just starts speaking in power and Things start happening where it's not planned. It's just organically happening. People are, I'm inviting friends to come on the road just because I see how much better it is with people and with a team. So that by the time November 2019 rolls around, I think October or November, and we do uh, Wave 2 in PVC, we do the second series that we do. You know, the first series is Free From Sin. The second series is called Healed From Sin. We do that next series. You know, the Lord had been instructing us and walking out freedom so that we could walk it out in wholeness and in healing. And I got a bunch of friends on my mind that I want to hear this stuff. I want people to come. I'm thinking of my man, Will Murphy. Uh right? I think of my man, Will Duran, who had been heard and ostracized and had been living in deception for almost 20 years. Um, Of course, Eddie and Jayla, who were stewarding that relationship with uh, with integrity and trying to really, really steward that well because of um, Eddie's background. And then Christian's there and Justin and all these people, right? Mm-hmm. And I want them to be at a church and in a location where freedom from sin has been received. People are walking in the integrity of the spirit. You know, uh, Pastor George Gaynor, a man of God, just like, just is clear on gospel and is empowering and encouraging. So we get together mm-hmm. and man, we see lives change, bro. We can sit here and tell you story after story. I could tell you how Christian, whenever he comes with me on the road, he would um, just go on Instagram and try to get local social media influencers and just do free photos for them just because he wanted to hone his craft. And he's like, this is something I can offer wherever we're at. So when he's in Honolulu, he just gets on Instagram like, yo, I'm Christian. This is my work. I'm here free. I'll do some work for whoever. Mm-hmm. So this dude gets DM'd by a couple of girls in Honolulu, I think it was. And he goes and they're like these little social media influencers. They're trying to be models. And he helps them out, takes pictures, whatever. And <laughs> Speaks you know. life. And then just shares the gospel with them. And they're like, yo, you're totally different. Like, you're not using this photography thing, like, to try to slide up in DMs and be something different. He's like, nah, I'm just trying to help people out and tell them God loves them. And he's just speaking life, yo. So one time when we go to Portland, he does the same thing. Comes across a, a couple of people and he just speaks life, man. Maybe you'll have her on the podcast, but our girl Sophie. Yeah. Just speaks life into Sophie, man. Utterly transformed, you know. Our boy Loomis. Right. Was a part of that. Right. Um, And so Christian touches down in Portland for love reality, connects with these random people on Instagram, pours the gospel into them. They come to the meetings. There's more radical freedom that's happening. We actually have it recorded the night where Michael gets even more clarity 
on Holy Spirit living, right? Yeah. It was one night where Pastor George's, um, if you see it, it's on, on, on Healed from Sin, a wave two. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, they called it Renewed and Ransomed, or Ransomed and Renewed, mm-hmm. I think is what they called it, a PVC wave two. And uh, there's a night there where Pastor George is reading Isaiah 53. Mm-hmm. And as he finishes, you can see me get up and I point to Michael. And Michael's got his hands in his head, his head in his hands, head in his head. And Eddie comes over, Will comes over, they lay hands on him, they're praying on him. And that's the one of the moments where like Loomis gets super clarity on gospel. And then, of course, you have him on the podcast and yeah. he shares that. But we, we have that on video. We have these experiences. On Chico's video. at wave two. Chico, <clears throat> Chico's mom is at wave two. Chico, yeah. Chico comes in and Chico's like, Jonathan, we need to pray for my mom. She needs to get a revelation. And, you know, when people ask me that, it's like, man, what am I supposed to do? I mean, the Holy Spirit will do it. I don't know. And I'm listening to Chico like, yeah, man, all right, cool. But, yo, <laughs> partway through the meeting, Holy Spirit just speaks to her. Let her know that she's loved. We have that, mm-hmm. you know, recorded because everybody's recording stuff. And, like, the moment where she gets the revelation, right? And if you go back to Chico's story, you know that Chico and his mother, his now wife, his uncle, they're all baptized in the river that they were told never to come back to because a curse had been put on their family. And she got the powerful revelation, walking in the spirit, anointed. And it was crazy. And we're living in this. We're seeing it. We're documenting it, right? I can think of, we come and do wave two in Denver. I can think of Cheryl. Yeah. And Kevin Cheryl, who absolutely loathes Eddie and hates him because of what Eddie's been accused of and the way that the world sees him. Mm-hmm. And um, she absolutely loathes and hates him, but she keeps coming back because she's hearing something. And then one night uh, she wants to talk to Morgan, you know, because Morgan was on the road with us that, that day. And she wants to talk to Morgan because Morgan was wronged by her husband and Morgan had been able and willing to forgive her husband, but Morgan was not available because Morgan (laughs) was talking to somebody else. The only person that was available was Eddie. Uh Cheryl gets radically free. Radically. This lady is bold in the Holy spirit, man, moving in confidence and power now. Right. Um, Because of the things that we had learned and the way the spirit was teaching us to not position ourselves or others in the spirit. And, we just walked and grew in it, man. And so Love Reality became like a thing thing. And then it was like, bro, we need to do something online. Well, then, well, 2019 into 2019 into 2020, there was a lot of momentum and steam. And then this thing happens the called the happened. pandemic. The panty happened, right? <laughs> um, the Rona. And I remember being on the phone with Justin because now we're off the road. Yeah, like 2020, we had like 12 to 14 uh gigs events are, yeah. right and these are week-long joints so you know a whole lot of time on the road doing it but the pandemic stopped all of that and uh we decided to start holding zoom meetings and we held these zoom meetings and these zoom meetings were powerful because we were getting way more people on the zoom than we would get in person because digital right and plus they're all at home they they're can't go anywhere home, <laughs> so how many we did what five or six of those over in the, the summer, summer i remember 20? you called me you're like yeah we're going online bro and i was like Oh, okay. And I I was free then to be a part of it. Before that, I was not free to be a part of anything with Love Reality. And then uh, I got free to, to be a part of that. And the growth that I saw with that, bro. Yeah, man. And, you know, we were able to reach, I think that first week, man, I, I look at the stats on Zoom. It was like 20 countries, you know, 12,000 active like sign-ins or something. It was It was nuts. And so we did, we did all of those and we saw the Lord actually doing a work and giving us favor to actually go online and digital. So we did that through 2020 
at the end of the at the end of 2020, we gathered in Hawaii uh, with Hui, and we were thinking, what's the next step? And uh, the next step that emerged is like, yeah, we need to get Wave One in a digital form so that people can go through it as a curriculum if they so choose. And that's what we did with Wave One. We put it on, we got it done, and it's there on lovereality.org and people can be blessed by it. They can go through the studies in a really short form, you know, 10 minute vlogs. Then there's a companion interact interactive study that they can uh, walk through if they so choose that answers a lot of the objections and questions that people might have. And then, yeah, man, 2021 hit the road again as best we could developing wave two in the same way we develop wave one. Um, Rich, you get free from the constraints that you had and you start doing this podcast. Now you got 2,500 monthly downloads, whatever, mm. all these stories are coming out. And all we see is the favor of God to see uh, his sons and daughters coming to a knowledge of freedom. And so here we are, 2022, still rocking, developing wave two. Like you said, we just dropped a book. Um, and, um, the only thing we want to do is tell people what we found in scripture. It's the same thing. It's the same mission to tell the gospel to lost sons and daughters or to, 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 to share this gospel to son and sons and daughters so that they might know that freedom is absolutely their birthright. And so, yeah, that's where we're at, bro. That's and you've seen, doing. I mean, this podcast is just full of the miracles, man. Yeah, man. We've seen miracle after miracle. We've seen them in person. Um, we've seen people get free. We've seen lives changed. We've seen marriages restored. We've seen prodigals return. Right? <laughs> Addictions be taken care of. You can't tell me he won't do it. You can't tell me he won't do it. And so um, now it's we've learned to count it all joy, even when uh, we are misconstrued as something <laughs> that we're not. Uh, we count it all joy when you know people think that we're out here living licentious. Uh, by God's grace, we're not. Uh, when people think we're teaching some unorthodox theology, I, I mean, we're absolutely hoping and open to be instructed contrary to any deceitfulness. We don't want to live apart from the revelation of scripture. However, we're fairly, fairly confident that we're free from sin <laughs> in Jesus name. We're also really, really confident that we have the privilege of living forgiven. And we're also really, really confident that the death of Jesus Christ, that one time is enough. Right. Yeah. And since I died with him, that one death is enough. What do I put to death now? I put to death the deeds of the flesh because they're no longer proper to my new life. Hear me now again, for those who are listening to this podcast, I put to death the deeds of the flesh because they're not proper to my new life. But I died once. I died once. And that once was good for all and for all time. I put to death the deeds of the flesh. I died once. That's good stuff, bro. But uh, thanks. Uh, I love the story, man. I love it because uh, it's changed my life. Um, my my episode, you interviewed me back for my episode probably over three quarters of a year ago. And we didn't know what this thing was going to do. And the truth is, as we're looking forward, it's uh, January 2022. Mm -hmm. We have no idea. No, nah, we have no idea. But it's going to be more. More it, the same. In, in, in what form? We don't know. We don't know. Yeah. But I'm confident that if uh, he, he began a good work in us, 
gonna see it to completion. Yeah, man. That's what's up. Thanks, bro. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me. And love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. And you can feel the freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If, if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life and let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Mm-hmm.